Hello, everybody. It's Peter O'Mara, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Out of the Tower. And for, we have a very, very special uh, guest with us here today uh, for our very first interview. I would like to introduce uh, to all of you uh, the one and only uh, Professor uh, Sarah Pratasi. Uh, she is an assistant professor of philosophy at the University of Puget Sound, uh, specializing in moral psychology and normative ethics uh, with an emphasis on emotion. Uh, her career has seen a defense of a form of envy as a positive contribution to human success, as well as an argument uh, for the beauty of everybody. She is also one of the founding members of Minorities and Philosophy, uh, which seeks to remedy the structural prejudices and injustices in academic philosophy to promote participation from marginalized groups. And uh, be sure to be on the lookout for her forthcoming work, The Philosophy of Envy, uh, to be published uh, with Cambridge University Press. Uh, so welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so what we were uh, looking to do today is we are going to be discussing um, your recently uh, published uh, article, uh, Virtual Emotions in a Pandemic, as published on a Cambridge University Press's uh, blog, uh, 1584. Um, so I just wanted to uh, kick things off just a little bit, um, a little bit more on the simple side. Um, what uh, what uh, particularly intrigued you about uh, making this connection? Because I, I know that, you know, obviously um, the... A pandemic is going to involve many, many different emotions. But what sort of prompted you uh, to sort of begin this piece and make these speci this specific connection? Thank you for your question. Um, so it, it's actually it was actually a pretty uh, personal experience that prompted me to to think about this issue. Um, I have found myself, like many others, um, during that time, during this time, unfortunately, uh, in some in some ways. To, I, I found myself um, struggling to both express and proper and process my emotions um, in a proper way, and um, I found myself uh, actually um, I, I felt fighting more <laughs> uh, on the internet more than usual, uh, fighting with um, with acquaintances and friends, and I started thinking about why that was, um, and at the same time, though, I also saw. Uh, beautiful things, touching things that were happening, like those graduation videos from um, from people, from, say, parents whose kids could not walk to graduation. And so I started thinking about the positive and negative side of the emotional experience on during a pandemic. And um, so that's what prompted my thinking about this. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so one thing that I would like to address uh, right off the bat, I'm um, a beautiful, beautiful uh, piece, by the way. Um, to what extent, um, I suppose the first thing I want to ask is, um, uh, you did uh, mention uh, that uh, darker emotions uh, have become uh, magnified uh, due to the pandemic. Um, you do mention that uh, down the line, a little bit further down in the uh, article, and that it is uh, more difficult for those who need certain resources uh, to get them. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to ask, I mean, I'll, and I'll put this as simply as I can, um, 
which, if any, uh, though, um, of these darker thoughts, do you believe, which of any um, just emotions in general, do you believe have been made more uh, positive um, or people see the more positive side of certain emotions as a result of the pandemic? So uh, just to give you an example, uh, one of the examples you given that is um, one could feel envy of seeing a picture of a friend sipping a martini on the beach. Uh, but given that, as we've seen uh, as portrayed a lot in the media lately, if you're outside maybe not wearing a mask um, that can incur the wrath of a lot of people uh, for better or for worse. Um, so given the nature of the situation, um, even though that's not like a positive expression of, of discontent, which do you see as being made more positive sort of in, in that capacity, I suppose, is what I want to ask. Yeah, that's a great question. And one, one thing I want to premise um, my answer um, with, I, I do want to say that I, I often talk about negative and positive emotions in a sort of conventional way, um, and I allude to their affect, to the fact that generally, often psychologists talk about positive or negative emotions in the sense that they feel good or bad to feel. So traditionally, um, anger is considered a negative emotion in the sense that its affect is aversive. It's not pleasant. We don't want to feel it. Um, whereas uh, love, for those who think of love as an emotion, as an emotion, they think of it as a positive emotion. But philosophers often interpret negative and positive in a moral key. So they think that envy is a negative emotion in the sense that it's immoral, whereas um, perhaps hope or uh, again, love is a positive emotion in the sense that um, it's moral or good or has positive consequences. But uh, my personal view is that, um, that, that things are complicated and emotions are negative or positive in different ways. So for instance, grief is, um, has a negative affect. It's an emotion that it's painful to feel. But at the same time, of course, we think of grief as a functional emotion, as an emotion that we do want to feel, that it's important to feel, that reflects the fact that we love uh, the people who died and so forth. So. Uh, that said, your question about what are the, so I assume that maybe when you, so actually, no, let me ask you a follow-up question first. When you think about positive emotions, do you have in mind emotions that are good to feel or that are, um, that have some kind of positive moral consequence or that reflect some value? What did you have in mind when you were thinking about positive emotions? I suppose, uh, and, and first of all, actually, you bring up a good point how we uh, philosophers and psychologists do tend to think of them a little bit more differently. I, I suppose the Martini example confl uh, conflates them a little bit. I suppose the one that I'm thinking of personally is, I, I would say, emotions that are I would say morally good, I suppose, in the way that philosophers tend to think of it. Because with the martini example, if someone is is calling out someone because they're sipping a martini at the beach during this pandemic, mm -hmm. that may very well be something that feels good to them to call out. But we may also recognize as in the grander scheme of things, not um, morally good. 
Mm. So, so, so I would say just more in the ph philosophical sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Martini example is 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 fun to think about because there are so many things involved, right? Um, there's this kind of righteous indignation. There could be a little bit of envy, and the two things might be mixed. Um, and one thing we know about envy is that people generally are not aware of their envy. They don't like to think of themselves as envious, and so it's much easier to focus on the righteous indignation part and the resentment and the moral content of your emotion as opposed to just the sheer envy for them the other person having fun um and so and also as you say i think you're right in pointing out that there is um there are both i think there in terms of affect there is both a negative and a positive affect you feel the satisfaction in calling people out but also it pains you to see other people sipping a martini on a bitch when you're like at home right uh, stuck at home um, and, and also then there is the question of consequences, right? Because we might think, to, so people think that sometimes calling out is the right thing to do. You want people to stop doing what they're doing. Maybe you want to shame them in some ways, but we also know that that can backfire. And so the consequences might end up being more negative, um, than positive. So I think it's a really, um, interesting case. Um, and I think if we think about what are the sort of positive moral emotions that have been intensified by being online or in general, by being the pandemic, because, you know, I talk about virtual emotions in the piece, but in the pandemic, the pandemic is a, is a, is a sort of greater area, right? So people, for instance, people have been talking about going to the grocery store, wearing their mask, and finding it both difficult to express their emotions, perhaps their solidarity, to express amusement or things like that, um, but, but also perhaps they have found uh, new ways of forming bonds with people. So it seems to me that partially the pandemic has increased some bonds of, we could call them maybe civic friendship. This is an expression that Martha Nussbaum uses in her work. Um, the idea that we want to, and that of course sort of draws from the work of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi and others who talk about the importance of, um, of uh, civic friendship. Of course, then there is the other side, the side of contempt, distrust, resentment, that sometimes is appropriate, right? But setting that setting that aside, um, it seems to me that people have come together um, in this pandemic in, in ways that perhaps were unexpected, um, right? The, the protests uh, show one side of that. They don't show only the negative um, side of, of, of anger, disruption, agitation, grief, uh, despair, but they also show people coming together, notwithstanding the pandemic, wearing masks, right, so that they can protect each other. Um, and so I think um, that has been something that has come out. And also, as I mentioned in the piece, I think that there has been, I think the pandemic has shown that, um, you know, human beings are resilient, they are inventive and creative, and even in new and difficult conditions, they find ways of thriving, they find ways of celebrating each other, of mourning each other. Um, you know, there have been, there has been the grief of not being able to mourn together in person, but there has also been the joy of celebrating weddings on Zoom and all of that. So you really do feel, if I'm, if I'm to understand you correctly, that this pandemic, um, even though it has affected the ways in which we can 
express certain emotions. It's nevertheless, for many different ones, been able to show both the positive and negative side of different emotions um, since this crisis began, if, if I'm to understand that properly. Yes, I think that's correct. Um, and that's what, what, what I think, I mean, you know, I, I think that um, humans cannot help but feel we are emotional beings and we are going to feel all of our emotions, but we're going to feel them in new ways. We will have to adjust um, our emotional repertoire and some emotions might be more prominent. Um, definitely, we have much anecdotal and I, I think increasing scientific evidence that anxiety is 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 on the rise. Uh, and so definitely some emotions, I mean, the, the, the constant uncertainty that so many of us are feeling is bound to elicit some emotions like anxiety more than others, right? Definitely maybe contentedness is not the most prominent emotion during a pandemic, but we definitely have both negative and, and positive side. I do think, though, and this is what I allude to at the end of the piece, is that we can't, we cannot be forever um, virtual, distant uh, people, right? I mean, people have been talking about, oh, we should talk about physical distancing as opposed to social distancing, because of course we can be close virtually. And I think that's true up to a point, up to a point. At some point, we are embodied beings. We need touch. There is evidence, there is work on this, uh, on the importance of touch, of physical touch for all of us. People who are never touched uh, really, you know, shrivel and, and it's, 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 not, it's not a normal condition. Um, we do need to be close. Even the most introverted of us at some point need to be close to others. And, and so, so the caveat is that, yes, we can still see both positive and negative emotions and in, in new... We can see there are new, interesting ways of being expressed, but 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 definitely this cannot be a you know a, the standard uh, exactly at some point and and then again like this is also why you know things like a product like political protest there's nothing um, as expressive and it's not it's because it's not in my you can have you can do a lot of damage virtually. Right, you can definitely. Oh, right, uh, you could you could really damage um, and and bring you or you can or, or 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 benefit your cause in virtual ways. There are all sorts of things that you can do online, but in terms of emotional expression, nothing can express anger as well as shaking your fist and and marching down a street. Right, and 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 the same goes for for other emotions. Even though you can be very loving in a letter. Uh, or online, uh, nothing really can substitute um, a hug in person and so forth. Absolutely. And, and I think it was a very uh, apt and timely example you gave in respect to that, where you were saying in light of the uh, the George Floyd uh, protests mm -hmm. that you, 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 we could have no way have been not only on the scale that uh, some would argue it ought to have been, but properly expressed if such a thing was attempted entirely online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That actually, um, that example you gave of um, how this is essentially, uh, the, the example you, I believe you used was uh, 
uh, was it civic friendship, as I believe coined by Martha Nussbaum, how that seems to be something that is uh, being facilitated by this pandemic. Um, Mm. Because as you mentioned, you know, people go into a grocery store, they have to wear a mask. Maybe they're not able to express certain emotions, such as I believe you mentioned solidarity um, was a good example. But that actually interestingly leads into one thing that – uh, I was very, very curious about uh, after uh, reading the piece myself. And um, again, I'll try to put this as clearly and simply as I can, but where would you uh, draw a line between a, quote, reminder of the emotions and connections that we value versus the active, uh, quote, facilitating of these things as they often, at least from my, from what I've seen, as they often appear to be relegated in everyday life in the digital age. So, so I guess what I'm wondering is I understand that we really have been affected emotionally by the pandemic, not just in terms of how we are able to express this, mm. but, um, but also how we are able to see something that has always been there, but we need a reminder of, or maybe something was being actively brought out. But what I really have been curious about is what has and hasn't been already really changed by the digital age? So the rise of social media, the rise of smartphones, the the, the technological landscapes prior to this uh, crisis that have I would I would uh, believe have no doubt had a hand in shaping the way we both not only express but value these emotions. So, so where, where would you kind of make that distinction? So sorry, just to um, uh, understand your question, um, make sure I understand your question. Are you saying of course, what, of what, are, what are the things that were what are the em- emotions or the things that have brought out by emotions that were always there and the, the ones that are new? Are you talking about the emotions or the values that emotions bring about? I, I, I suppose it, it, it's more I, for for me. I suppose they're a little bit inseparable. But I mean, mm. if you want to draw a line, uh, given what you observe between you know emotions and what we value in regards to them, that's perfectly fine. Mm. I guess for me, my focus is more about what had already been altered or changed by the rise of social media and, te- and modern technology of the digital age prior to this crisis. I see, I see. Mm, that's a great question. And, you know, I should say that I look at this from a philosophical lens, but I am by no means an expert on, um, you know, technology or social movements or, you know, I'm not a sociologist, so, so I'm kind of speculating um, here. Uh, it seems to me that given what... You know, I'm thinking, so, you know, I work a lot on envy. And so that's something that often comes up in my example, just because that's a subject that I know well. And envy envy is a universal cross-cultural emotion. Philosophers and thinkers in general have been thinking about envy uh, since a very long time. It's not, you know, Plato talks about envy. So it's not a, a new phenomenon by any means or a new emotion. But... Um, there has been a lot of discussion about how social media in particular have changed um, or have intensified the experience of envy. Uh, That is a well-established, robust, empirical finding. Um, People do feel uh, more envy and often the bad kind of envy due to Facebook, Instagram, uh, and, you know, TikTok, uh, you, you name it. Um, and there are specific reasons why the medium um, has has that 
has that feature um it makes it it make it makes comparison really immediate and unavoidable and that's you know you compare yourselves to yourself to others and because often many people post only positive things on on the social media they don't post uh you know the dark side they don't post uh their failures they just post about their success then it's automatic it's really easy for people to think oh everybody is successful but me right i am the only one who I am the only one whose children don't listen to me. Uh, I'm the only one whose partner is not perfect, and so so on and so forth. Um, and so it really intensified this idea that the the neighbor's uh, lawn is greener. Sorry, my idiom, my <laughs> whatever the idiom is, right? Um, so definitely that had. I don't think that has changed with the pandemic. Uh, I think that. Uh, again, especially people who look who who um, look at the transformations brought about by the social media, um, will see that some things have stayed the same. And um, I, I understand this is a maybe too partial uh, an answer, but I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer the question at a broader at a bro broader level. And I don't know if you, Peter, have some 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 things to share with us about what are the things that you felt. Um, are different compared to before the pandemic. I, I suppose, um, if you'll allow me to harken back to the earlier example, earlier example that you gave um, with a friend uh, sipping a martini. I'm sorry to go back yeah. to the one, but I thought it was a very apt example. So when we would see someone, you know, sipping a martini, even though the person posting that is probably feeling something, you know, I would assume generally positive. Um, mm -hmm. And then a someone, as you would mention, you know, oh, you know, this per would look at this on online on Facebook or on Twitter and think to themselves, oh, you know, this person's having such a great time. Why can't I be there? You know, what have I got to show for my life for myself? And again, I suppose the pandemic would only present us with certain very specific examples in this case. Mm -hmm. But it, but for me, at least, when you especially look at um, a lot of uh, people fomenting uh, criticism, yeah. at least uh, in a few months prior, to people um, in Florida uh, on spring break, and um, they ended up having um, a, a huge number of uh, cases of COVID-19 there as a result. Um, if someone was to, in a similar situation, sort of look at that very same picture of that friend sipping the martini, um, you know, mask or not, but but par participating in something that has more or less been condemned mm. by the pandemic, you now have what would I would believe their typical reaction to something like that sort of being turned on a on its head, and you know this would be a case of the more psychological. Um, aspect that we were uh, we were discussing between that and uh, philosophy earlier, whereas regardless of whether or not we would consider this new reaction good, so to speak, in the moral sense, we mm -hmm. now have someone who is experiencing something like a positive motion, sort of this uh, righteous indignation almost mm -hmm. um, as a result. So, so, I mean, that's th those are the kinds of examples that really did st stick out to me. Yeah. And, I, and I admit it's because you, that, that was such yeah. a great example yeah. in the piece. Yeah, and I think one thing that is coming to mind now that you're um, talking about this is that, you know, the... It's really hard to talk about the pandemic while detaching it from a sociocultural context. So, for instance, talking about the pandemic 
um, say in the US might not be the same that as talking, I mean, it's clearly not the same as talking about the pandemic in, you know, Kenya or Iceland or, you know, Japan. Um, and even though I think a lot of times those of us who live or work in the United States tend to be a bit like, uh, US centric, uh, the same goes for people in Europe. But of course, the world is large and different. There are all sorts of experiences of the pandemic. Then, of course, there is a matter of class and other kind of social position, right? So it depends on who you are during the pandemic. But even if, you know, we look at the US context and perhaps we hold fix um, some sort of socioeconomic uh, status, or we just look at, I don't know, all American citizen. Um, then we still have to keep in mind that there are other conditions that are exacerbating um, our emotional experience, which is, for instance, we are just at the cusp, at the cusp of a very important political election uh, after some very tumultuous years, uh, politically speaking. Um, the US, the United States are a very divided country. There's a lot of data backing up the idea that um, American citizens and residents are indeed very polarized. And so even the pandemic has become an element in political uh, divis divisions and upheavals. Then there are all the sort of racially motivated incidents and consequent protests that also have been going on for a long time, the Black Lives Movement, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and so forth. And we could add more, right? So there is never just the pandemic as this, you know, it's not just that there is this disease that is affecting people's lives, but there is the, the whole context and the other factors. And so I think it's pretty hard, you know, when we think about, okay, what is the role of technology in particular social media, social media in the last 10, 15 years? Well, then you have to also add all these other extremely um, emotional, emotional arousing um, events that have a role here. And so, you know, the person sipping on the martini, one of the things that come to mind is, if I'm I'm seeing my friends sipping a martini, maybe it matters if you know they are a Republican and I'm a Democrat or vice versa, right? Um, maybe it matters what their gender is, what their race is, whether they are in the U.S. or in Bolivia, and so forth. I, I see. So, it, so, so ultimately, it is becoming conflated with so many other issues that we we simply can't we we cannot divorce it from. Them, well, you know how philosophers are. We we like to complicate things. We don't. Like to oh yes, no, absolutely. Let's absolutely. add more no, complications. <laughs> no, um, without a doubt. Um, but but no, th th this has for, for me at least been a very particular um experience, just because it has. You know, forced me to think about how things have been lessened and how th how different expressions and values are, are not only being brought out or changed, but in particular, if we might sort of um uh, move things to to a bit more of a um a conclusion, mm -hmm. what would you say? And, and again, it's it's positively impossible to say for sure until we are not only out of this crisis, but several years down the line when so much more work has been done. But if you had to give a little bit more of an estimation of what you expect to be, um, I would say, truly changed in terms of maybe not expression per se, but I would say 
frequency of certain expressions because people mm. realize, oh, you know, we can't do this right now. I can't be with loved ones who might be in the hospital who are dying. Mm. You know, once we're out of this crisis, you know, what do you think, if you had to give your best guess, is going to be permanently changed as a result, mm. maybe both in expression and or in value of emotion yeah. by this pandemic? Yeah. So I don't expect any change in the... Sorry, let me rephrase this. Um, there's there's a sort of basic... Um, there are some basic universal emotional tones that are always going to be there. Um, anger, fear, disgust, contempt, uh, and so forth. Um, hope, grief, all of the emotions that, um, that we can name without specifying too much, right? We, we, there's a difference between talking about nostalgia and talking about a certain kind of nostalgia, like a much more culturally specific kind of nostalgia. Uh, I do believe that there are some um, emotional tones, we could say, that all human beings feel in some way or other. And those, I think, are still going to be there. But of course, this is going to be a major... Um, there's going to be some major cultural shifts, but they always happen, <laughs> of course. And so, so the emotions that we feel don't look the same as the emotions that the ancient Greeks feel and so forth. That's normal. I do think, though, and I, it, it's a bit hard for me to predict what those cultural shifts will be like. Maybe we will develop in the same way as sometimes we talk about Monday blues, um, right? Or some people in some cultures talk about the certain melancholy that you have on Sundays or something like that. Well, then maybe we will develop some things like, oh, I'm feeling the pandemic blues today or something like that, even though the pandemic has ended. So maybe we'll, we'll develop that kind of emotional vocabulary and that will stick with us for a while until it loses its significance. Perhaps we don't because people don't really have that experience anymore. But one thing that I do wonder about is emotional expression because, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how they're starting to feel almost uncomfortable to be in a, even if they can be now, maybe in more crowded spaces, they might still feel uncomfortable. I am a very physically affectionate person, but honestly, um, the other day I, I shook hands. I'm in a context where uh, I don't have to worry too much about, about physical distancing just because of where I'm living at the, at the moment. Um, and I, I shook hands with someone and it felt strange. I actually felt uncomfortable and, and I would have preferred not to shake hands, even though in that particular context, I know I knew that it was safe. And I do wonder if slowly um internationally we will shift to for instance express expressing affection in more physically distant way um after all uh, that's the practice in in many cultures um for instance in, you know it's well known that in some asian countries uh people do not express affection physically much uh, parents don't hug or kiss their children past the infant stage um people do not shake hands or did you don't you don't give kisses like people in europe for instance do and so i do wonder whether that's going to be affected whether you know i'm italian used to be very common to exchange a kiss on both cheeks when you even when you meet someone you don't know and i'm i'm imagining maybe that won't be the case in the future so i do wonder whether there's going to be less of a physical touchy feely emotional expression or not but maybe, maybe you know it will just it will be fleeting and we'll all go back to our previous ways it's it's really hard to tell 
Absolutely, because I mean, of of course, you know, uh, we're not just dealing with um, the transformations brought on, as some would argue, of the digital age prior to the crisis. But you also have to consider the many different uh, cultural contexts, as you meant, right. as you mentioned, how in many Asian countries there's a very limited form of physical affection, and in many, um, as you mentioned, uh, in uh, Italian culture, you know, the the little uh, kiss on the cheek is a form of a greeting, it, right. is commonplace. So. There's a chance that you know, either know maybe that will just go back to being the way it was. It's just that deeply ingrained, or right. we're going to see something really significant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a I significant alteration. I'm I'm curious to see that. And again, I'm sure there are people who study these uh, these customs. Uh, and I, I definitely think that we know that some of these um, some of these practices might might seem um, very um, culturally ingrained, but then people in the know. Are aware that they might actually be more recent than you might expect. Um, so a British friend of mine was talking about how before the pandemic, the Brits were becoming more European, they were exchanging kisses, and this person really didn't like it. They're like, oh, I'm happy that with the pandemic, we stopped this silly thing of following European customs. Uh, but it's interesting, right? Because their comment makes me think that then people were starting to adopt this custom. Um, and so who knows? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see in a few years how things go. Uh, I, I will be. I personally will be very interested to see the body of a philosophical, psychological, and just general ac uh, academic work that does emerge from mm -hmm. this crisis, mm -hmm. uh, from this true, from this truly critical juncture. That I, I do think, um, sort of, if you'll allow me to put in this term, sort of the wisdom of academia can really shed some light on. Yeah. Um, well, regardless, I want to just thank you so, so much, uh, Professor, uh, for joining us here today. And I do wish you uh, the very best um, uh, going forward and as this uh, crisis um, does play out, but both uh, for you and your family. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning in, everybody. Buddy, this has been your host, uh, uh, Peter O'Mara, and I will join you once I reemerge from the tower uh, once again. Uh, you will take care and stay safe, stay healthy, and bye-bye.